You are listening to Think Theory Radio. 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 <laughs> Welcome to Think Theory Radio. The show that brings you topics outside the mainstream realm of thought and ideas to make you think. And I'm your host, Damien Perdue. Oh, I thought you'd be like, I'm your ghost. Or ah, something. missed opportunity. <laughs> well, I'm your ghost, Sam Hain. I should you know, know that, that reference, and I don't. <laughs> it's the, the original name of Halloween, mm-hmm. or at least the, uh, the fall celebration time of the Celtic people. The old druids, and that, of course, speaking as uh, Polly C. <laughs> C stands for Crypt Keeper. <laughs> <laughs> so, if, in case you didn't know, we're doing the Christmas special today. If you can't tell, the Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> Is this one of them Tim Burton things? Hold on. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yes, it's time for another edition of Spooky Science and Tales from the Quark Side. Mm-hmm. Get it, Quark? Yeah. And I've uh, compiled a bunch of weird and strange things and spooky and sciencey. Um, I try to do this three segment thing if I can, but we got to uh, see if we can fit it all in. I have scientists and magic. Then I have uh, occult spirit technology, and then actual science terms and processes and things with spooky names, and what are they? So I'm going to start off with the um, science, scientists and magic. Those always go good together. Yeah. Of course, you do have to kind of go a little far back in time to find where science and magic align. Probably when wizards started showing up. (laughs) Ah, the old wizards. Kind of. I mean, maybe that's what they were called, but... I would think, isn't that where science married magic was when wizards started popping up? Well, I think wizards were... Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. That's... That's exactly what the history books say. That's, that's just one idiot's opinion. I don't know. <laughs> it all started when the first wizard discovered the atom. Uh, no, but I mean, you know, it was, uh, well, the beginning of a lot of science. Obviously, like, they were proclaimed to be heretics and, you know, people were like, what are you doing? I mean, I think it's it's kind of a, a common statement to say, you know, any kind of high technology would be deemed as magic to someone who doesn't know what it is. And science but was really that. We're not talking about like um, if David Copperfield was like doing some at-home chemistry or something like that. No, it's not, not those. Types that, no, of... that might make a cool special. <laughs> These magicians that yeah. do like science. Stuff David Blaine and quantum physics. No, but this is more the. It's the opposite of that. So this is scientists who either had involved in magic or believed in magic. Uh, the first one's a pretty cool story. It's about uh, Johannes Kepler, the astronomer and the witch. And for those that don't know, 
Uh, Kepler is one of the world's most, most famous astronomers. Uh, from 1571 to 1630, he lived. And um, he actually has a planet, a NASA mission, and a planet-hunting spacecraft named after him. And he uh, discovered that planets move in ellipses. But back in the day, his mom was accused of being a witch. Why, because she read books or something? Right. (laughs) She was a strong, independent woman. She's a witch. And this actually, uh, this was when he was at the height of his scientific career. His mom gets accused of, of witchcraft. And he actually went to defend his mom. Which at the time, I mean, I don't even know if nowadays if you would have a you know public intellectual figure that would do that. And she was, uh, it was a criminal trial that lasted six years. And he actually, he formally took over his uh, mother's legal defense for a year. He put his whole career on hold, stored up his books, his papers, all his scientific equipment, packed it all up. Moved his family to southern Germany. And, uh, yeah, he spent time trying to get his mom out of prison. His mom was in, in her late 70s at the time, okay? And they had her chained to the floor for more than a year in imprisonment. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, so she got uh, accused basically of that she made a living from, you know, from magical healing and that uh, she was actually brought up by an aunt who was burnt at the stake for being a witch. And basically now it was uh, in the small town in Germany. There's a lot of records from back then. So they easily nowadays they looked up and see like there was no aunt who was burned for witchcraft. Uh, There's no evidence. She made a living from healing. She actually just, she made herbal concoctions, you know, she mixed herbal drinks for herself and sometimes others. And, you know, a little hot toddy for the friends. And, uh, yeah, I guess Kepler's defense was a rhetorical masterpiece. He was able to uh, dismantle the inconsistencies of the prosecution, um, show that magical illnesses for which they blamed his mother could be explained using medical knowledge and common sense. And then in uh, the autumn, autumn, see, perfect time, Halloween of 1621, she was finally set free. So props to Mr. Kepler. For getting his mom free. But that's just crazy, though. Think about that. Like, And he was like a devout Christian. You know, he was a scientist, but a devout Christian. You know, so for him to come to defense of his mom being accused of witchcraft. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he made some pretty cool um, drawings. His models of the solar system believe that it was all kind of geometric. But that was Mr. Kepler's witchcraft story. And then we have another... Several others who, like I said, you got to go back a little back in time, but Galileo. Galileo. Galileo, Galileo. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, he was kind of like a fortune teller. He also believed in astrology. Not only he believed in it, he practiced it, conducted it for wealthy clients, and he taught it to medical students. Um, 
and also the the, the aforementioned uh, Johannes Kepler also believed in astrology. Sir Isaac Newton thought alchemy was the future. You know, the father of material physics. And also called uh, John Maynard Keynes called Isaac Newton the last of the magicians. There's that wizard for you. Spent half his life obsessed with alchemy. And in uh, 1696, he became warden of the Mint. He became master of the Mint in 1700, the Royal Mint, which makes coins for the entire UK. So it's kind of funny that here you had uh, an alchemist who was in charge of making people money with this was all coins because alchemy, you know, they believed you could turn different metals into gold. Mm -hmm. And here he was controlling all the (laughs) all the gold. Uh, I guess Robert Boyle, who was considered the father of chemistry, also dabbled in alchemy. Um, He was so committed to the alchemical cause that he fought to make alchemy legal since uh, Henry the fourth had banned it. And also Isaac Newton used to, he was trying to make the uh, Philosopher's Stone, <laughs> the almighty alchemical tool that could supposedly give you immortal life. Um, Tycho Bra, Bray? He's not, I'm not too familiar with who he is, but uh, he was uh, around from 1546 to 1601. He created his own model of the universe. Didn't get it quite right, but he did help advance astronomy and cataloged more than 1,000 stars. And he also convinced everyone he was a sorcerer. And uh, what's cool is he actually had his own private sorcerer's island. Havin, today known in English as Ven. He was fantastically wealthy. So he built multiple observatories there on this island of Dr. Bra, or Bray. <laughs> B-R-A-H-E, what do you think? Bray? Yeah, that'd Bra-hi, be my guess, yeah. Bra-hi. 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 Uh, Bra-hi. <laughs> and so he built, he had a squad of astronomical assistants, and he used tiny robots. Little automata, they used to call them back then, <laughs> back in the 1500s. You had a bunch of robots. Didn't know they had robots. Yeah, they were like wooden gears and stuff. The Greeks used to make them too. Like kind of these. What's the definition of a robot? I guess we, you know, think they have like a mainframe computer in them, but I guess it's no, it's just a mechanical sort of anything that's like like a uh, automaton, yeah, kind of mechanical thing, auto mechanical, yeah, but But not but not a car mechanic, auto mechanic. Maybe a car is a robot. he had, uh, he, but he would use them to convince the locals that he had magic powers. And he liked to party hard. That's always a plus they always for a do, sorcerer. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're a sorcerer and you have your own island with tiny robots, you got to be partying, right? <laughs> I would think. <laughs> I mean, imagine a party on this dude's island, though. That had to be a blast. It's like, let the tiny robots serve you a drink. And he's got, like, huge telescopes and you're finding stars and on this cool island who knows what else he had there um and he he also like he didn't just try to convince people he was a sorcerer he actually believed it 
He publicly lectured against anyone who believed astrology was fake. Um, he also believed alchemy was the future for mystical discoveries. And he became uh, pretty obsessed with magic that an entire, or he, be, he became so uh, synonymous with magic, that an entire calendar of magical days was made in his honor. Hmm. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I'm going to. Calendar of magical days. The magical calendar is one of the largest single copper plate engravings ever made. Measuring 48 by 24 inches, it was published in Frankfurt in 1620 during the early 17th century renaissance of hermetic publishing. The original engraving of the magic calendar bears three names at the bottom right corner. Um, yeah, so I don't know. That's a, that's what the magical calendar is, I guess. I'm not sure why it's magical, but probably has some alchemical secrets. And there are probably whatever is in this. It's hermetic wisdom. Um, where did I go? I lost my place. There we are. Now I'm back. What about Carl Linnaeus? What about him? He classified magical animals like the Hydra and believed in mermaids. <laughs> He was alive from 1707 to 1778. He imposed taxonomical order on animal and plant life. And I guess the uh, rapid pace of uh, identifying species at the time led him to believe perhaps that humans would soon find a host of mythological animals. He devoted a whole section of his landmark Sistema Naturae to these strange beasts. It was called Animalia Paradoxica, or Parad Paradoxa, which included the Hydra, the Satyrius, which is a monkey-like man similar to uh, Pan in Greek mythology. Well, it's two weeks in a row that Pan got a shout-out on, on the show. Yeah. He's <laughs> popping up right. everywhere. It is that time of year. It's a good time yeah. of year for Pan. Yeah, and Mischief or and Go yeah. Fellows, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, also the Phoenix... Uh, was one that he categorized. Mm -hmm. He actually believed that he found a troglodyte <laughs> and was pretty confident, pretty confident, not super confident, that he had seen a unicorn horn. And uh, I guess he was very excited at the chance to find a mermaid. <laughs> what single man wouldn't? Uh, what else? I guess uh, Gottfried Lib Leibniz, Leibniz man who managed to help invent calcul calculus. But he wanted to fill a museum with weird and imaginary animals like the Myrmecolian, which I guess is some sort of ant lion. Okay. <laughs> I never heard of that one. Then we got uh, rounding it out at number five. Paracelsus loved natural magic and himself. If you didn't know. Okay. He was from uh, 1493 to 1541. He basically invented toxicology and he named zinc. But he was a big fan of magical things as well. Born as... Oh, he's got the best name, though. His real name. Philippus Ariolus Theophilus. 
Frastus Bombastus von Honenheim. <laughs> Say that 20 times fast. But I like his, his fourth name out of five is Bombastus. That's a pretty cool name. Bombastus. Yeah. Bombastus. <laughs> I named a kid that. Um, then he renamed himself uh, Paracelsus, both because it was shorter and because it literally meant he was better than Celsus, a first century Roman medical researcher. <laughs> I'm so much better than that man, I'm naming myself better than him. See, I think that's something I never really knew before I started doing these shows with you. It was like the arrogance and ego of those in like the science community. Like that's, that's an ongoing thing. I never thought about that before. Yeah. Especially back then. But that's like pure. I mean, that's you talk about it's, haterism. I guess like it comes pure, with the territory, right? You yeah. Know, but to like, name yourself. Yeah. I'm better than him. That's some old school petty that's, right there. That's haterism to the like <laughs> nth degree. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Like you have an enemy that hates you so much. They legally change their name right. to like. <laughs> like how, you're like, hi, hey, I'm Paul, and I'm yeah. like, I'm better than Paul. Yeah. Who's that guy that just drove by no, throwing your garbage name? on you? Oh, that's my enemy, better than Damien. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what's his name? No, that, that's, his, that's name. his name. Yeah, because it's not like, I mean, that's literally what it meant. Yeah. Uh, although some say, some say he might have been rena- renamed by his biggest fans, but I'd rather believe that he he did that to himself. Um. But he believed in the transmutation of metals. That was an obsession with him. Uh, he pursued it all the way as in, you know, through his adult life. He tried to utilize natural magic to help patients. He was quoted as saying, a magic is a great secret wisdom. And while his understanding of natural magic occasionally lent itself to scientific inquiry, he also believed that the soul strongly desires sulfur. If you didn't know. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the scientist on the list closest in time to Aristotle, which is probably why he was fascinated by the occult and occult knowledge. So that's the list of. Well, actually, I could get into Tesla a little bit because Tesla. There's some same, same oh, things. Don't get you Tesla, started on Tesla. I, don't get me started. Um, but there's nothing. You can't really pinpoint anything directly with Tesla. It's just he did a lot of stuff that seemed very occultish. And he definitely was into spiritualism and studying with, like, yogis. Um, some say that he, when he was a kid, he actually had these kind of shamanistic transformations because of the description of him having these uh, visions where Tesla went into a trance and talked to entities nobody else could see. He had, like, a, a series of mysterious illnesses between the visions. Um, in the final vision, Tesla supposedly saw everything in the universe obeys the law of octaves. And he was transformed into a kind of a secular seer. And he could literally see in perfect detail any machine he thought about right down to the microscopic measurements and dimensions as if he were using actual tools to measure the machine. So, and he did all kind of weird stuff like walk around the building three times before he would enter. And he could have just been whacked out, but... I like to go with you as an occultist. <laughs> uh, that's it for the crazy scientist segment. When we come back, we'll talk about some uh, occult and spirit technology. That and much more on Think Theory Radio. 
<laughs> Welcome back to Think Theory Radio. Today we're doing spooky science and tales from the quark side. <laughs> uh, if you want to give us a call, if you have any wonderful spooky science related things to to uh mention it's called 773-763-9278 or 773-763-wcpt and now as i promised we will talk about the occult technology or spirit technology and uh first one i can never save the the best for last on this show because i'll run out of time <laughs> The Chronovisor. You ever heard of that, Paul? No. It's a cool name. Chronovisor. The Chronovisor. Kind of sounds like uh, the coronavirus. <laughs> well, it could have been something that could have uh, witnessed the coronavirus. Actually, Chronovisor. Well, actually, or the plague. Actually, the that's plague. what it would have okay. witnessed. The the Chronovisor sounds like. Um, like a haunted, like a, like a scary movie or something. Yeah. You know? Like I'm the Cronenberg. Yeah, that's what this kind of sounds like yeah. to me. Like David Cronenberg movie yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh no, the Cronenberg is going to get you. All right, now go on. Tell us what it is. Sorry. <laughs> it was supposedly a machine that photographs the past. And it was actually made by... A machine that photographs the past. Mm -hmm. Like, so you can't take pictures in present time. You take, like, past pictures. Yep. Like, I want to know what it was like. Although maybe it's not a genie. Maybe it just gives you whatever pictures it feels like that it captured. Mm -hmm. You don't get well, to tell it. What you, no, this you supposedly you actually did. Uh, like, mirror, mirror on the wall, show me. No, it was actually, like, okay. technological, like, a device. It was like a cabinet. What? Mm-hmm. And this was actually built by a, a famous... A uh, priest who was who used to be a he was an Italian physicist who became a priest, Father Pellegrino, also very good uh, drinking water. Pellegrino, oh, yeah. Sam Pellegrino. Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> I don't think he invented that. Though. No, uh, Father Pellegrino it's Maria beverage. <laughs> Ernetti. That's his last name. <laughs> Pellegrino, Father Ernetti, as he goes by. Uh, nineteen twenty-five to nineteen ninety-four. He also enlisted the help of 12 of the world's most prominent scientists. And all of two wanted to remain anonymous. What's crazy is the two are super famous uh, Nobel laureate Enrico Fermi, who's the, you know, the guy who split the hey, atom. Local guy. Yeah, split the atom down there in Hyde Park over mm -hmm. there. And, and that lab out in the, <laughs> yeah. the west suburbs. Yep. Mm-hmm. The old particle accelerator yeah, there. Just got to drive down what past there, that there uh, Fabian Parkway or the... <laughs> is, that, is that what people in the West Suburbs sound like? Yeah. <laughs> That's where they split them particles there. And uh, one Werner von Braun, who's come up on the show quite a lot from uh, NASA and Nazi fame. And those na NASA, Nazi, NASA, NASA Nazis. Nazis. Yeah. Mm. Operation. That's a whole other conspiracy episode. Operation Paperclip? Or, yep. uh, yeah. You got it. Yeah. Well, you're paying attention, yeah, Paul. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you playing at home. Uh, yeah, he was a Benedictine priest, scientist, and world-class authority in archaic music. And uh, supposedly he mixed quantum physics and the occult arts, and he constructed a time machine. 
or like more like a time photo booth. <laughs> and it was the chronovisor. And, uh, the chronovisor. Yeah. <laughs> and supposedly in 1988, the Vatican issued a decree which warned that anyone using an instrument of such characteristics would be excommunicated. Yeah, that sounds about Vatican. Mm-hmm. And so they think, you know, the theories are that the church, the Vatican, has suppressed and hidden the chronovisor. And supposedly, uh, Father Ernetti said that whoever uses the device is able to capture and record specific locations, important events, and track noteworthy individuals. He said it worked by processing residual electromagnetic radiation left over by numerous processes from the past. Which kind of actually reminds me in like an obtuse kind of strange wave of uh, the cosmic microwave background, which is how we see the origins of the universe. We see the past left by, you know, this uh, radiation. So it's like, oh, it, there's an interesting kind of like, hmm, there. Like, what if the past leaves traces as this electromagnetic radiation that if you have the right equipment, you could see like almost like seeing stars that aren't alive anymore. Yeah, you know? but I don't think it'd be any like deeper than that. Just kind of like yeah, remnants of where maybe right, something existed. Some you know, ghostly yeah. images, yeah. perhaps. Maybe that's what ghosts are. We're just seeing like it's not actually living souls. We're just seeing like photographs of the past. Yeah, but I mean, like, get philosophical here. You know, get all Neil deGrasse Tyson and be like, we're all made up of star energy anyway. So maybe like, we're all <laughs> stardust. Maybe that's what it is. You know? I don't know, but he said supposedly he witnessed. The Crucifixion of Christ, a speech given by Napoleon, and he also claimed to have witnessed a 169 B.C. production of the tragedy Thyestes. The what? It was a Greek tragedy. <laughs> you know, the, like a play. Okay, but like, what's the... the What's the non-historic stuff that he saw? You know, it's like crazy right, people right. always like, no, no, I was at all of these great yeah. moments. And it's well, like, well, did you ever stop at a <laughs> bank in Prague on like a Tuesday afternoon? What was that like? You know, like what was what was the mundane stuff that you did? It's all this. But it's always, thing, I was though. here for the big moments and you didn't do anything. I, yeah, I hear that. Well, he couldn't do he anything. Couldn't. He's just, just watching, witnessing, witnessing it. Yeah, it. Yeah. Taking photographs through time and space. But here's the thing. If, if you had the device that you put coordinates in to get to, I would think you would pick big events in history, not I'd, a random, let's see what happened on this. No, see, I agree with you. Yeah, I, but I'm saying, me, like, personally, I would that exact that. all the time. And it's like, yeah. you know, like, oh, I could have seen, mm -hmm. you know, the. Yeah, uh, like, how would you, like, put a dial to the I, crucifixion of Christ? I was this close to seeing the assassination happened. of Julius Caesar, but I accidentally aimed right. it at the window. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> yeah, and those dates aren't too exact either. Exactly. It's like, they really have a, which calendar are you going on? Like, what of? date yeah. of the crucifixion actually yeah, really I'm calling. Come on. I'm calling nonsense on the shenanigans. <laughs> shenanigans. <laughs> uh, yeah, he supposedly uh, claimed to reconstruct the entire text, uh, which was later translated to English by Princeton University professor Dr. Catherine Owen Eldred. Although she noted in her analysis, she believed Ernetti had written the play himself. And I guess... Uh, on his deathbed, there were some some confessions made, <laughs> um, but it was supposedly made of a large cabinet with antenna made from alloys of unknown metals, alien metals, a connected cathode ray tube, and a control panel of buttons and levers. 
But it's just interesting, though, that he was an actual physicist who became a priest and then actually had the help of Enrico Fermi and Werner von Braun. You know what I mean? Like, those aren't no names. Now, anybody could be a scam artist, though. It doesn't really matter if you're actually smart. Yeah, say, was he, like, funding their research? Hmm, interesting. Follow the money, they Mm -hmm. say. Uh, Before we get to some more on this list, let's take a phone call real quick. We got... Who we got? Is this Roosevelt? This is. What's going on, Roosevelt? What's up, my brothers? How are you? My my fellow ghost brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Ghostly brothers. Guys, I have a question. Well, a couple of questions for you. I know you probably, in all your programs that you've had, uh, touched the subject of deja vu. All over again. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so here's the thing. This is what, from what I've read, what I, you know, from my personal experience also. Um, have you guys encountered anything like that in your in your personal life? Because this is what has happened in, in, in as far as my my examples. Mm-hmm. There are there are times when I could be doing just random stuff, just you know, whatever, you know, and. All of a sudden, something crosses my mind, and I, and I say to myself, of course, I don't talk to myself, but I say to myself, mm-hmm. this happened before. I dreamt this before. Yeah. And, and it, could be, it could be a matter of seconds, not necessarily, you know, a whole scene or whatever. And it, do, it, it, and it doesn't, you know, it's nothing super special. It could be like a... a, 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 like a a picture in your in your in your mind mm-hmm. of, of you were doing something, and you said to and then you say to this is what I say to myself. I said I dreamt this a long time ago when I was a kid. Yeah. Have you guys have have had anything like that? And what from you guys? You guys are more in in the field than I am. What do you think causes that? And. And 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 does everybody yeah. you think the majority of the people experience that? Well, I tell you, I mean, I definitely have had tons of you know deja vu experiences. Um, I have as well. Yeah, this show sometimes like the, the <laughs> intro today was deja vu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's been times like I've, I get it when traveling and I'm like somewhere I've never been and and I have this weird feeling I've been there before. Um, I've had, maybe it's not deja vu, but I remember specifically one where I I had a dream about a friend of mine from high school who I hadn't seen in like probably 10 years. And I literally ran into her on the street like the following day. And we reconnected after that. It was, it was weird though, because I, you know, just, just, I hadn't thought about her in a while and I had this dream about her and then I see her on the street and it wasn't like we were, I was in her neighborhood. She was in my neighborhood. We were in a totally different neighborhood. It was just like totally by chance. Um, not necessarily deja vu, but it, to me, it's it's kind of along the lines um, of having that kind of like future sight or past kind of uh, recognition. Um, there's a couple different scientific ex- – well, there's, there's one scientific explanation that they say is the reason for deja vu is because of the amount of time that it takes for our brain to process what our eyes and ears take in. It's actually like milliseconds. So your brain already knows what – you you consciously register as seeing milliseconds or even possibly second full seconds maybe up to three three seconds um, before 
you do, right? So like your brain processes the information, then your conscious mind is like, oh, I'm looking at Paul across from me. And then you have to feel, oh, I have to, I've did this before. But it's because your brain registered at three seconds before. Every Saturday from 6 p.m. to 7. <laughs> I wonder why it feels so familiar. I, I think there's something to be said about that. But I, I swear the, the moments that I've had deja vu are, you know, when I, when I think I'm experiencing it, it's like I've dreamt this before. Not yeah, so like much what, I've experienced this, but, yeah, yeah. but it's like this this moment and like the way you feel and, and everything just was like, mm-hmm. well, this feels common. This feels something that I've done before. And, and I think... Maybe there's something to be said about that of, you know, because dreams are a whole different thing altogether. But I think I I think there's also kind of maybe going along, you know, because you're talking about in in the instant, maybe you're thinking that you've experienced before. But I know what you mean, though. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think to kind of maybe piggyback off that is maybe maybe there are predictable things in your life, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, it's like even even some of the unpredictable things sometimes can be predictable because of environmental factors. Mm -hmm. So perhaps it's like, you know, like, you know, if if you're the type of person that buys a boat and then one day you're on the boat shortly after you buy it and you're like, oh, I've dreamt this before. It's like, yeah, you probably wanted that boat for a while. I know it's a terrible example, but it's, you know, I mean, like. (laughs) Thinking about buying a boat, Paul? Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying, though? I think it's like it's like certain things like that where it's like I think there's there's things that that can happen in your life so maybe you've thought of those possibilities in your subconscious and and then you it 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 applies in your life somehow and you're like wait a minute you know Mm -hmm. well i think my my own crazy mind and also you know somewhat scientific mind thinks that there there is and i'm not the only one there are actually like well-known physicists and and people that you know, ponder this and possibly it's a theory um, that consciousness is, is on a quantum level, right? That there's, you know, and we've talked about this in the show, that there's some kind of, uh, you know, quantum field that connects with our consciousness or creates our consciousness. Um, if you think about quantum entanglement, where like particles interact and then they stay connected after, you know, no matter the time, space, distance, whatever. So if you think of uh, information of, uh, you know, of any occurrence, that information is processed in the mind that could all be on a quantum level and you could have some connection to the past uh, in in a way that through some kind of quantum field that when your mind experiences it again, it, it's picking up some kind of residue left over, you know? Okay. Um, kind of like what I was saying with the dream with my friend, where it's like, I've known her, maybe there's some, you know, we I have some kind of conscious quantum entanglement with her, and when I dreamt about her, it brought, you know, like the, you know, through the... Because, you know, it's like we talk about in the show, there is no real space. Like, we're touching, we're all actually touching. Like, we're we're swimming in a a soup of neutrinos and particles and there really is no space between us. <laughs> I was just thinking of like, there's someone out there with that fear of like, ah, I'm touching air. Ah, so gross. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, it's like, there is no, like we perceive it as space, but it's, you know, there's actually particles and atoms and molecules that are touching my body. that are touching your body that go yeah. on and so on and so forth all the way around the world. Because we don't live in a vacuum. Yeah. And so, 
it's possible, maybe if consciousness is on a quantum level, that there's some kind of connection through that. Now, that's, you know, I would never be able to prove that. Maybe somebody will. I mean, I know, like, Seems Roger like Penrose, famous mathematician, is working on that kind going of... Going some, like, extreme spiritual quantum physics there. That's wow. <laughs> well, it is spooky science. It took us on an audio journey or a journey of audio delights. Wow. <laughs> exactly. That was the point. Uh, and thanks for the call, Roosevelt, in... Maybe one of these uh, spirit technologies have the answer to deja vu. We'll find out that and also some, uh, speaking of particle physics, some spooky names in particle physics and astrophysics. When we come back with Think Theory Radio. I like that beat, though. Yeah. That was nice. I was about to start a freestyle, then it, it dropped. So it's a, Yeah. Well, Sorry, yeah. folks. Couldn't hear my freestyle. <laughs> oh, I didn't have to put you on the spot. Yeah. Oh, spooky science. <laughs> Talking about the alliance between magic and science. Is it a seance? There's no defiance. Love it. <laughs> All right, I'm a little rusty, but it's okay. Hey, for on the spot. Hey, you know, I've done it before. Um, Shaking off the cobwebs. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And for those that have just tuned in, this is Think Theory Radio. Spooky science We're edition. discussing uh, Georgian uh, vo- voter laws. Uh, yeah, something, I guess. <laughs> Crime rates and stuff. The occult. Oh, wait, no, we're talking about like spooky no, no, yeah. Halloween stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> for those for those listening on yeah. Facebook. Yeah. Um, or not. Or not. <laughs> or just commenting. Just commenting. <laughs> Maybe they maybe they used a chronovisor to go look into the past, and they're commenting on past shows. And they're listening to Patty Vasquez, yeah, or Edwin. I don't uh-huh. know. One of our many fine programs here at WCPT eight twenty. Yes, sir. So back with some uh, spooky technology. Another famous inventor, Thomas Edison, the big thief. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and also an uh, elephant murderer. All right, that's how he created the electric chair. He was trying to beat Tesla and built this device to show that Tesla's DC power was dangerous, and he electrocuted, electrocuted an elephant. Because the elephant was so big that if it could kill an elephant, it'll definitely kill your common uh, death row th- yeah. inmate. Well, no, I think he was just trying to show how dangerous it was, and then some... Yeah, prison. It's so powerful, it yeah. kill an elephant. Yeah, yeah. But some prison like uh, warden was like, "Hey, uh, we could use that," and he was like, "Cool." He's, Wait, so he's killing the elephant for fun? He wasn't even like, yeah, no, he was just killing the elephant to prove Tesla wrong. That was all that was about. I don't know why that makes him more evil in my <laughs> eyes. Like, if he was selling the electric chair to be right. used as an like, hey, this is how it worked. Yeah. I'm gonna use an elephant. I don't know why that's a little bit like. <laughs> Slightly more humane, even though it's not. Right, right. No, I hear you. I know. He's uh, strictly driven by haterism. Um, but. The ego of the scientist. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That should be the episode. Exactly. But he also tried to make a, uh, or supposedly invented, the spirit phone. The spirit phone. Okay. 
in the late 1920s. Talk, like, the, the Bill Paxton movie, we talk, Frequency. Oh, yeah. Um, he supposedly gathered with other scientists in a secret laboratory. I need a secret laboratory. Uh, to record the voices and presence of the dead. They used speakers, generators, and other experimental equipment. That's what a Modern Mechanics magazine article said in October of 1933. Uh, the magazine article described Edison's machine in which a tiny pencil of light coming from a powerful lamp bored through the darkness and struck the active surface, which could detect the smallest particles. You're talking about particles and ghosts. These particles would be proof of the afterlife, physical bits of human personality left in the atmosphere, waiting to be discovered. Uh, unfortunately, after tense hours spent watching the delicate instruments, nothing happened. And I guess that's why no one ever heard of it before. Um, Edison was known for having hundreds of patents, obviously, with light bulb. But he also added that a this new invention, which he believed was possible, would not function by any occult, mystifying, mysterious, or weird science means. I threw the science in there. Employed by so-called mediums, but by scientific methods. I am engaged in the construction of, of one such apparatus now, and I hope to be able to finish it before very many months pass. That was my Thomas Edison impression, but I don't really know how he sounded. Maybe he sounded like this. <laughs> Is there like recordings of Thomas Edison? I don't know. Look it up. YouTube. It played at the end of the show if you find Looking it. Looking for some... <laughs> Spooky Halloween music now. Yeah. Yeah, so you try to... Spooky Thomas Edison audio. <laughs> Hello, guess... my baby. Hello, my... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he tried to... I guess, you know, but this was not the only person who was trying to uh, use technology to communicate with the dead or picture the dead or photograph the dead. There was actually spirit photography. He has a message for you. Oh, he did sound like this. Okay, that's not him. It's not? Now this is Thomas Edison. This is uh, Edison Yeah, there you go. Our boys make good in France. The word American has a new meaning in Europe. Our soldiers have made it speed, courage, generosity. All right, we get it. Right, he kind of sounded, sounded like. yeah. yeah. They kind of sounded the same. <laughs> that's just how old. <laughs> hey, that old time well, voice. played through that special device yeah. that he has, yeah. Through the spirit phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there was also spirit photography, which was big in the late 1800s and early 1900s. I guess the early, the earliest known spirit photographs were taken in America in 1861. And that was after the uh, spiritualist craze, which actually Tesla was a, a fan of. Um, believe that the spirit continues to exist and act in the world after death. And um, I guess there were all kind of displays of spirit phenomenon. And there was a man named uh, William Hope who took a bunch of photographs uh, around 1920. And there are, I believe... Uh, he was he was also a medium, and you can find them on the internet if you look them up. I mean, they're cool looking, and you have to it like eh, they're probably fake, right? 
But you have to give him kind of like some artistic props, though. Like if you look at these photographs, if he did do these himself, it's still pretty impressive. Uh, supposedly they took photographs of families and stuff like that. And when they would, um, you know, get them developed, these ghostly images of other people that weren't there would pop up in these photographs. But uh, there was a investigator of supernatural phenomenon named Harry Price who accused him of cheating. And he actually claimed to prove the hope of secretly exchanging the blank plates with altered ones. And he actually he gave. Um, but one of the things Hope would do was he would have people bring their own equipment so he could make it seem even more real. But Mr. Harry Price was on to him, and he, he gave him a packet of sealed imperial plates, which actually had marked with an invisible X-ray insignia of the company's logo, so that when they showed the pictures, it didn't have the, the logo, supposedly exposing Mr. Hope. And what about uh, there's also the spirit box. Spirit gets thrown around a lot with this technology. I see spirit box or the <laughs> spirit photography. Come on, guys. Think of a different name. <laughs> I guess the spirit box is basically like a like a ghost radio. And it jumps around AM radio channels, uh, creating a white noise effect. That effect allows spirits or ghosts to communicate by altering energy to create words and phrases. And it said that clear phrases and responses can be heard, while sometimes even intelligent responses can be made out. Who knows? Maybe this is a spirit radio. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to speaking 820 AM. <laughs> we are speaking from beyond. And actually, you are hearing us in the past, from the past. Yeah, 15 seconds later. Yeah. So see, think about it. You don't know what happened in that fifteen seconds. You don't or, even know we're still here. Or less, if someone curses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a modern creation. The spirit box was created in 2002 by Frank Sumption, aka Frank's Box. Um, what else we have? Uh, the EMF radars, dousing rods, many others. But as I promised, we're going to talk about some. Physics and how they have some of them have spooky names. My favorite one is uh, Maxwell's Demon. And for the no, no, those that know my graffiti name, you might know why I like this name. There's a thought experiment devised by the Scottish physicist James Clerk Maxwell in 1867, and it's actually a stumped scientist for 115 years. And even after a solution was found, physicists have continued to use Maxwell's demon to push the laws of the universe to their limits. So in this thought experiment, Maxwell imagined splitting a room full of gas into two compartments by erecting a wall with a small door. Like all gases, this one is made of individual particles. The average speed of the particles corresponds to the temperature of the gas faster is hotter. But at any given time, some particles will be will be moving more slowly than others. So. Maxwell suggests, what if a tiny imaginary creature, a demon, as it was later called, sat at the door, and every time it saw a fast-moving particle approaching from the left-hand side, it opened the door and let it into the right-hand compartment, and every time a slow-moving particle approached from the right, the demon let it into the left-hand compartment. After a while, the left-hand compartment would be full of slow, cold particles, and the right-hand compartment would grow hot. This isolated system would seem to grow more orderly, not less. 
which is against the laws of physics, because two distinguishable compartments have more order than two identical compartments. Maxwell created a system that appeared to defy the rise of entropy and thus the laws of the universe. Uh, two advances would be crucial to solving Maxwell's demon. The first was by American mathematician Claude Shannon, who is regarded as the, the founder of information theory. In 1948, Shannon showed that the information content of a message could be quantified with what he called the information entropy. In the 19th century, no one knew about information, said Takahiro Sagawa, a physicist at the University of Tokyo. The modern understanding of Maxwell's demon was established by Shannon's work, he said. The second vital piece of the, pro the puzzle was the principle of erasure in 1961 and not the, uh, the band, not the 80s band, erasure. <laughs> In 1961, the German-American physicist Rolf Landauer showed that any logically irreversible computation, such as the erasing of information from a memory, would result in a minimal non-zero amount of work converted into heat dumped into the environment and corresponding rise in entropy. Landauer's erasure principle proved a tantalizing link between information and thermal dynamics. He later proclaimed information is physical. And so that's uh, that actually both of those has a lot to do with um, the development of computer systems and microchips and everything because of, of theorizing that information is, is a physical thing. And that's Maxwell's demon. There's more on it if you look it up. There's an, a scientist recently who did Maxwell's demon as a physical experiment with large balls and separated them into rooms so you could actually physically see how the thought experiment would work now what about ghost we've heard about ghost particles and ghost phones what about ghost universes ghost universes whoa you got big <laughs> so like particles and phones i'm thinking like ah ghost cars ghost mountains no you went universe yeah ramped right up mm -hmm. right away all right let's, let's and if hear this about if this new approach to quantum physics is turns it pans out to pans out to be true <laughs> Uh, it would actually eliminate the idea that the wave function that a particle being a both wave and a particle existing at the same time, superposition and all that, would not be true. And this approach actually removes the wave function and says that it's basically in its place. There's a huge but finite number of ordinary parallel worlds whose jostling explains the weird effects normally ascribed to quantum mechanics. So basically there are ghost universes that push into our universe and are why particles interact in a way that we perceive them as either a wave or particle. So there you go. That's a ghost universe. Yeah. There's also ghost particles, which are basically neutrinos, which I mentioned earlier a little bit, talking about they're flying around us. And Coconut ghosts, blueberry ghosts, <laughs> fried ghosts, boiled ghosts. Pac-Man ghosts. <laughs> Pac-Man Blinky. Ghosts. Blinky. Is Blinky your favorite? <laughs> All right, folks, that's it for Spooky Science and Think Theory Radio. We'll be back again next week and every Saturday, 6 to 7 p.m. right here on WCPT 820. <laughs>